This is McLean Mannix, and you're listening to Pack Center. What up, Wolfpack Nation? It is the host of Pack Center, Garrett Hirschberg, here with my co-host, Kevin Finkler. Kevin, how's your week been so far? It's been pretty good. Garrett, thanks for having me on the show again. Always glad to be here co-hosting with you. And we hope you guys have a great week as well as we are in preparation for this weekend's uh, football game against Fresno State. But with that being said, let's go talk about what happened last weekend. And Nevada got its first road win since 2016. This is the first road win under Coach Jay Norvell. This was something they kept harping on the ESPN News broadcast was that the last road win for Nevada as a team was in 2016 when they beat the school down south. It was Brian Pullian's last game. Yeah, no, it was a good game, Garrett. Um, glad we finally got the win. Uh, glad Norvell finally got his first road game win. That's always the hardest ones is winning on the road. Um it kind of took longer than I'm sure he was expecting and, well, in fact, fans were expecting, but we finally got it done. Uh, things are up on the up and up now. Yeah, this game was interesting to say the least. Nevada looked really good for the majority of the game, and then towards the end of the game, they lost their momentum. And it was it was close. Uh, it wasn't as high scoring as I thought it would be. The score was 28 to 25. We were able to pull out the three-point victory. Uh but people were expecting this game to be in the 70s, which I think is kind of ridiculous with the team that runs a triple option. Yeah, I don't think it was going to be in the 70s, but I think we talked about it last week that we thought this was going to be a high-scoring game. I mean, more high-scoring than this. I think we both predicted in the 30s and 40s, um, both teams ending up being at. Um, like you mentioned, we did lose our momentum towards the end. Uh, we came out strong in those first two halves, you know, pulling out 21 points at the half. But then, you know... We did get that one touchdown in the third that kept us in it, but in the fourth quarter, again, we got were held scoreless, and they ended up putting up the eight points and mating in an interesting game. You're right, and it was uh, it was a good game for the defense, uh, especially in the first half, as they they looked really good. They stopped the run, uh, they forced the turn, they forced a couple turnovers, uh, but it's it's interesting to see how the offense played. Ganji, for the most part, played pretty good. He went 24 of 33, 259, four touchdowns and a pick. His pick was uh, a pick six at the goal line. So it wasn't, that wasn't a positive, but we were still somehow able to come up with a dub. But one thing that really hurt hurt Nevada was their penalty yards. It seemed like on every single drive, they had at least two false start penalties. And this hurt when, especially if you look at it, Nevada had, I got a strip sack. Uh, Lucas Weber picked it up, got down to the one-yard line. They get a false start penalty, moves him back to the six, and then Ganji throws that pick six I alluded to just just earlier. So it just shows you how how the momentum can, uh, halt, uh, can get halted by these false start penalties. Oh, yeah, penalties will kill your team, especially towards the end when you're building momentum, you're driving down the field, especially when you're at the goal line right there. And you get a penalty, stupid false starts. False starts, honestly, is one of the worst penalties you can have, especially as an offense. It It's not needed. Um, it's just a lot of miscommunication and the O-line not being on the same page. Um, but, yeah, it's it's something that does kill football teams a lot. You see it a lot in the NFL is it tends to be, you know, the team with the least amount of penalties generally comes out with the win most of the time. You know, don't quote me on that for sure. But – 
yeah, penalties do kill your team. Uh, it kills your momentum. It definitely killed our momentum towards the end. Obviously, like you were talking about, we went down to the goal line, brought it back to the six because of the false start penalty, and then Ganji threw the pick six. I mean, guaranteed, we don't have that false start. We're at the one right there. We're going to just, you know, punch it in. Tuoto is going to just punch it in. We're going to go up another score. He's going to get his first touchdown of the game. And a stupid false start penalty brings us back and forces us to throw his pick. I mean, obviously, you have to give some blame to, you know, Ganji for throwing that pick in the first place. But at the same time, you have to realize that it should have never been in that position if we didn't have the false start. And I think discipline is going to be an issue that's going to be uh, harped on in practice. We mentioned this last week that uh, the quarterback run would be something harped on last week in practice. And we saw Nevada limit the uh amount of scrambling the quarterback did in the read option. But looking at the numbers, Nevada had 13 penalties for 103 yards. That's absolutely ridiculous in comparison to the five penalties for 40 yards uh, by by Air Force. And I think one thing that just slows like every, all momentum, like Nevada is a team that wants to play fast, but false start penalties slow you down and like gets you out of your groove. Yeah, it does. It just – it. You're clicking on an offense. You're clicking, making first downs, making first downs. You're driving, and then just the false start. Just it throws off your groove. It's like, it's like Emperor's New Groove. You threw off the Emperor's Groove type thing. Um, but yeah, you gotta keep the momentum. You gotta be clicking. You gotta be a well-oiled machine. And the false starts are definitely something that kills it. Um, they're definitely gonna be stressing on it, like you said in practice. The discipline of this. It's kind of hard. Obviously, you get a lot more penalties on the road, especially things like that, because you have outside. Um, like the crowds getting into it, you know, it's kind of loud. You're not used to that area, blah, blah, blah. Things of that nature uh, goes into it. I think this week we'll come in with a lot less penalties. Uh, Norvell is going to harp on this on the offense is no false starts. We're going to make sure we limit the penalties. And I think come this game coming up on Saturday is going to be a lot better and a lot more disciplined. Nevada had more passing, more penalties than uh, Air Force had passing yards. 103 penalty yards for Nevada, 96 penalty uh, passing yards for Air Force. But that's also saying, like, Air Force is a triple option team, but you still expect them to pass for more than 100 yards. And the defense looked good. They held Air Force to about three yards a carry. That was something we know. I know I hyped on last week, saying Air Force runs, runs about four, averages about four yards a carry. Nevada was able to stop it. Bowling allowing 250 yards of offense, and that's incredible. 154 yards on the ground. Uh, they ran the ball 51 times, which is not surprising, but it was it's amazing to see how Nevada was able to stop the run and come up with some big stops, especially late in the game. Yeah, no, Jay Norvell definitely knew what was going to be happening in this game. The defense was ready for it, uh, limiting them, you know, like you were saying, to minimal yards. And, I mean, obviously they're not a passing team, but holding a team, their starting quarterback um, under 80 yards is pretty dang good as a defense. Um, it's it's incredible the way our defense played. Um, they definitely are one of the main reasons we did end up winning uh, that fourth quarter could have got blown out more, but our defense held our own. Yeah, no, it's 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 kind of it's crazy how well we did stop the run. I mean, obviously, uh, Hammond for them had a touchdown, but besides that, no one had a touchdown uh, running. The only other touchdown was a passing touchdown and the pick six. Um, our defense did great. Uh, Reed had an amazing game, uh, six tackles. 
Uh, Rufus had another six tackles as well, and then Dotson rounding it off with five. And Reed coming up with that one sack that um, definitely put them and stopped them on their drive. So, yeah, no, our defense came up huge this game. I think um, one of the things we've been talking about all season, Garrett, is, you know, um, each game it's whether the offense shows up or the defense shows up. I think this is one of the first games that it's been a pretty equal amount between the two. The defense held their own and limited them, you know, limiting them to less than 30 points and that the 25 score. And our offense did well enough to put us above the mark at 28. So I think this is one of the first games we actually saw that the two came together and contributed enough for us to get the win. You're right, and it looked like things were going uh, south. Uh, there was a cha- there was a time that Nevada was wasn't doing too hot on offense, and especially in the third quarter, third and fourth quarter, they only scored seven points, and that's like it's not very good. When especially when you look at uh, when the grand scheme of scheme, they scored 21 in the first half. So, and they scored their they scored on their first possession of the of the second half. But other than that, they went shut out for pretty much the entire second half. And that's something we've seen Nevada. They take their foot off the gas pedal, especially in the late uh, late part of the games. We saw this against Oregon State. We saw that here. You saw that in the most part in the second half of. Vanderbilt, like they, it was a seven-point game at, uh, it was a seven-point game at halftime, and then they just, I don't even know what happened against Vandy, but with that being said, I think Nevada needs to keep on continuing putting pressure on the on opposing defenses. They ha- they have the offense to do it. Mm-hmm. Now it's now they should show us that they can. Yeah, no, one of the biggest things is keeping the pressure in that fourth quarter and keeping you know the foot on the gas pedal. Um, we always leave the door slightly open for the other team, especially in the second half. Instead of just slamming it shut and just blowing them out and keep on, if we produce the amount of points we did in the first half in all these games that we did in the second half, our record is going to be a lot better than it should be right now if we actually continued and played a full four-quarter game. For some reason, I just think we're not taking chances in those last quarters. I think Norvell's playing prevent defense and you know conservative offense which is something I don't think you should be doing in college. This is something in college football, you've always seen it. It's the highest scoring games is the second half is when they turn on the Jets and they actually score a bunch of points. And for some reason, we're not doing that. This is, I don't understand how, we're, why we're not doing that. This is our offense is we're a high scoring offense. We're designed to be at least a high scoring offense. We're the air raid offense, you know. And it, it just seems like we're the air raid offense in the first half, and then the second half we're like, okay, we've scored enough. Maybe we'll try to hold them for the win. And no, you should be slamming the door in their face, putting the nail in the coffin, and running up the scoreboard so they don't. we don't have to worry about these fourth quarter barely pulling it out, you know, defensive stops, or, you know, like the other week, kicking a last-minute field goal to win or waiting for them to miss a last-minute field goal. It shouldn't come to this if we just produce like we do in the first half and the second half. Guaranteed, our record is way better. We'd be a lot more confident with the rest of the season. But for some reason, we always just take our foot off the gas. And I think this is something we need to work on, especially when we get in conference play here, especially when we got people like Fresno State and Boise State coming up now. This is These are teams that we can't give up at halftime or just play prevent defense and conservative offense. No, you need to go 
full 100 miles an hour right out of the gate of that second half. Now, I think one of the smartest plays of the game was in the last minute of the game, Nevada got a stop on defense when Nevada was up five. Air Force was driving. They were inside the red zone. Nevada gets a stop on fourth down. They turn it over. Uh, Nevada doesn't do anything on their drive, but Nevada takes a safety up five so that you don't have to punt in a situation where you know a kick can get easily blocked. And I think that's something that you don't really see utilized in college football. It makes sense because we saw in uh, in the Toledo game, Nevada had a kick that was blocked and was returned for a touchdown. If, if that happened to Nevada, Nevada would have lost this game. So you take the safety and you just give your punter a, a free kick. So... And what that that turns out to be a kick to the four, uh, it got kicked to the twenty, returned to the forty. But this is a much better situation than if you were to punt from your own six yard line. It might not, it might not have been blocked, but it it could have had the potential to be only like a twenty or so yard kick. Exactly. No, that was a very smart move on the coaching staff for that. You don't see it a lot in college football. You do see it a little bit in the NFL because a lot of those coaches are experienced enough to realize. You know, there's tricks like that that force the other team from putting themselves too far out of reach and letting them drive the field instead of giving them good field position kicking from R6. You know, kicking from R6, they probably would have took the ball, caught the ball at the 45, and probably ran it back for another 15 yards in their own, you know, in their own term of field. It was definitely a very smart play. Um, I'm sure the betting line hated it, but in all in all, that's what you have to do to get the wins. And it's things like that at towards the end that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, oh, Norvell should do this and the offense should do this, blah, 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 blah. You got to admit this man is very smart. He knows what he's doing. This coaching staff knows what they're doing in situations like this. And that's why we came out with the win is because an inexperienced coaching staff would have just punted it away and then, possibly let them lead or drive down the field and win the scoring touch or put up the scoring touchdown so no this was a very smart move by the coaching staff and very smart move by the offense and I think that this definitely does play with Norvell's experience being an NFL coach or coaching in the NFL being like uh, one of the top assistants at a lot of big time programs so coach good congrats to coach Norvell on getting his first road win it took it took it over a year but we're glad we're glad to be uh, in the winning column, Nevada is now three and two on the year, one and zero in conference. We are now halfway to a becoming bowl eligible, and this weekend the the test does not get easier. As this weekend we host Fresno State. Now Fresno State's one of those teams that's really good at football. As last year they were one of the top teams in the Mountain West. I believe they won the West Division in Jeff Tedford's first year. At, at Fresno State, and they got a dual threat quarterback who who can kill uh, who can kill Nevada's defense. Fresno State on the year has beaten Idaho, lost to Minnesota, beat UCLA, and then they stomped Toledo. So I think this will be a very interesting test uh, for Nevada. I know both me and you predicted that they were going to lose. Right now, the spread has come out, and on Monday, uh, the spread is twelve points in favor of the Bulldogs. Yeah, no, that's kind of expected, especially the way Fresno State's been playing. They're 3-1 and one on the year like you just went through the schedule. They're playing really good football. Um, just looking at the Toledo game, because we've played Toledo, um, obviously it matters the time you play these teams, but it's a good comparison. 
if you look at it, Toledo ran up the score in the first three quarters, but they're kind of like us, and they took their foot off the gas pedal in the fourth and let Toledo put up 14 to make that score just a little bit closer. But no, Fresno State is a very high-scoring offense. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if our defense continues to play the way they've been playing. Otherwise, it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game in probably the favor of Fresno State. I mean, look at Idaho. When they played Idaho, they put up 79 points. The only time that they were limited under um, 40 points was uh, the Fresno or the Minnesota game, and obviously it's Minnesota. I mean, it's a different step up from you know Idaho or Toledo. And then UCLA, they were only held to 14 points. But besides that, 49 and 79 points, they are a high-scoring offense. It's going to be interesting to see if our defense continues the way they've been continuing um, this past two games. Uh, it'll be definitely interesting. They've got a high-scoring quarterback who last week, you know, threw for four touchdowns just like Ganji did and the one interception just like Ganji did. 369, or 368, excuse me. Um, they've got a decent running game. Um, two players over 50 yards, Mims and Hokit with 59, both averaging one eight, eight yards a carry and the other three yards a carry. Um, their defense is pretty well stacked. Um, they got a couple of sacks last week against Toledo. That's something that's kind of been eluding us a little bit, I think, is sacks. We only had the one last week with Reed having that one. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Our defense is definitely going to have to step up. But at the same time, our offense is going to have to keep firing on all cylinders, um, play the way they did in the first half of last game, and continue it in the second half against their defense. Now, looking at last year's matchup with Fresno State, Nevada, we we lost 41-21. This game was in Fresno, uh, but Ganji really struggled on the day. he went. Last year, he went 31-48, 253, two tutties, three picks. Uh, but what really, what really killed Nevada was the fact that they couldn't get a running game. Their leading rusher last year was at uh, Kelton Moore, who had 26 yards. But you look at this year, they have an improved running game with Toa and Devontae Lee, but this, the real player to watch in this game will be Marcus McMarion, uh, their starting quarterback, as you mentioned. Last year against the Wolfpack defense, uh, he put up 296 and two touchdowns. Sure, this is a different defense. Uh, he moved Malik Reed to the linebacker position, so it'll be interesting to see. I think Nevada is is going to lose, but I, I think it, Nevada has a chance to keep it close. No, I do too. I don't think it's going to be – a 20-point difference like it was last year, and I don't think we're going to get blown out like uh, they just blew out Toledo. I think we're a better team than we were a couple weeks ago when we played Toledo. We're a better team as it is right now. Um, it's just it's just the fact of whether we're going to keep doing what we're doing and play to their level, Fresno State's level, and you know, don't play conservatively. This is the type of game when you're expected to lose is time to take chances. Take a shot. Do something you would never think of doing because you never know if that's going to be the one thing that actually works against this team, and that's going to be the thing that ends up, you know, for us to sneak out a win. Now, do I think that's really going to realistically happen? No, but I'm thinking this is the time where we can try some things out um, for the upcoming games, um, especially when we come back and play Boise. That's going to be a really, really, really hard game for our homecoming game. So it's going to be an interesting game. I don't think we're going to get blown out as we did last year. I predict Ganji having a way better game than he did last year. He's definitely probably not going to do the three picks. I think he goes three touchdowns and one interception. He'll still have, probably have the interception. Uh, Toa is going to have a good game. Definitely probably going to 
score more than or not score more, but average more than you know his predecessors did last year. Um, this kid is definitely something to watch. So keep an eye out for him, and you will have to see how Reed um, does differently this year than he did last year, moving to the linebacker position now. So it's going to be a really interesting game um, for a score. Uh, gosh, I don't. I think it's probably going to be a touchdown and a field goal, ten point difference here. Um, we'll at least keep it, but I think towards the end we're going to let it slip. I think that this could be a game that uh, both senior quarterbacks have a have a field day. Uh, Marcus McMarion, we've seen what he does. He can light up. He lights up defenses. But I think Gange, I think Ganji, if he's healthy, because if you look at the Toledo game, he he did I think hurt his knee and he played through it. So it'll be interesting to see what the diagnosis was there. Uh, at the time of this recording, we don't know. But if he's healthy, I think he could have a field day. But with that being said, I think Nevada does lose. I think it'll be high, somewhat high scoring. Nevada loses by I'm gonna say eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that being out, oh, one more thing before we jump into a break. This game is 7.30 on Saturday night on ESPNU. It's going to be an interesting game to be televised by ESPN. Um, folks, if you're listening, come out to Mackey. Let's pack this stadium. Uh, it's going to be a night night game. It's going to be nice and chill uh, weather-wise and, you know, atmosphere-wise. It'll be chill. And with that being said, we are jumping into a quick break, and we will be back shortly. With it being officially October, we are less than three weeks away from the first preseason game, and boy, are we excited. Now, Nevada has something special lined up for its fans as the first preseason game of the year is October 21st, Sunday at 3 p.m., and boy, are we playing someone special. Kevin, do you know who we're playing? Um, I don't. Garrett, Garrett, can you tell us who we're playing? Uh, we are playing the University of Washington, so it is nice to see a uh, Pac-12 team come to Reno for a preseason game. This will make it now four pre uh, Pac-12 teams we play this year as we play ASU, USC, and Utah along with Washington. Now, I think this is something special to have a, a Pac-12 team come to Reno. The last time this happened was Oregon State a couple years ago, but... Oregon State's not on the level as Washington is. Oh, yeah, definitely not. It's really great to see that our program is successful enough, and let me tell you, it's really successful, um, to the point where we're having Pac-12 teams come to us. Um, we talk about it all the time in football is we have to play these big-name schools, but we have to go travel to them. They won't play us at home. And we're finally in basketball successful enough. People are finally realizing the talent that we have and the potential we have this season. And I know this is only a preseason game, but this is something monumental for us to have a Pac-12 team come to us. It's going to be great. It's going to be in the Virginia Street uh, gym. No, it's not. That's the law. Okay. All right. The Lawler game. I'm thinking about the homecoming, you know, scrimmage. Sorry, folks. So, Um, but yeah, no, it's going to be a great 
um, exhibition game. It's going to be a great preseason game for us. Um, it's great to see Washington come down. Um, it's great that we're now going to have playing four Pac-12 teams. Um, it's going to be definitely a test for us in the coming months, especially when we get into March Madness. And you look, at, you mentioned the Virginia Street game. The second preseason game uh, is October 26th, Friday at 7 p.m. This is a th- this is the throwback game. We saw them do this last year. Uh, this year they're playing San Francisco State in the Virginia Street gym. They'll most likely rock throwback uniforms, and it'll be interesting to see how uh, or how the team looks in these first two preseason games because these two preseason games will shape will shape the team. And especially with uh, they they don't they have the hardest uh, non conference schedule for a mid major team. Yeah, that's definitely going to be – it's going to be our first test. Like you said, we're the, the toughest schedule for mid-major teams. Um, they're, the NCAA is definitely going to be testing us right here, uh, making sure we own, you know, we earn what we want. And what we want is to get that, you know, be the ones cutting down the uh, hoop at the end of the year. Um, but definitely it's going to be an interesting game, especially playing San Francisco. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. San Francisco is a very storied school. I mean, Will Chambers. San Francisco State. San Francisco State. Oh, not, I'm sorry. Not, not University of San Francisco. Not University of San Francisco. My apologies, folks. This is why Garrett is on the show, and this is why Garrett is the pro. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be a really good game. Um, the Lawler game is going to be amazing. It's going to be our first time to pack Lawler. Guaranteed that game is going to be uh, full to the brim. It's going to be interesting to see the throwback uniforms as well, see what Adidas does with that. Um, it'll be cool to see how they're doing with that and rocking it old school in the Virginia Street gym. Well, this is the biggest news of the week, the or the past week uh, after our show came out. But before that, Nevada hosted its first ever pro day on, Thurs- on this past Thursday. And it was interesting to see. I was able to go uh, watch the team scrimmage uh, and get the, get the first look at the team in – this is something that we streamed online, uh, Nevada Sportsnet. Uh, but it was interesting to see how everyone performed in front of 32 scouts from 22 teams. So it was interesting to see because you got to think people are trying to play their best, trying to improve their draft stock, get drafted. And so it was interesting to see this team. They ran drills, uh, and then they scrimmaged five on five. Uh, there were four games of fives, and each one was about four minutes. So it was interesting to see some of the players. And one of the things other media members and I were talking about were who were some of the players. We know Caleb Cody, Jordan, Caroline uh, are going to be big players, but who would be someone to step up? Who's someone that people n- might not know? And it was interesting to see Nisre Zuzwa, Corey Henson, uh, Jalen Harris, and Jazz Johnson, all players who are more than likely going to be coming off the bench, have big pro days and able to show that they're scoring abilities. Which is very good for us because I think one of the things uh, we had to adjust to last season is the fact that we only had like a six to seven man rotation. I think especially with this new upcoming team, um, we're going to have some depth in it. It's going to be great for Musselman to have that. He's going to have some versatility at those spots. If he has, you know, three or four guys that you just mentioned that can come off the bench and score and put up some points, um, that easily takes away those games that, you know, last year we should have easily won. It's going to be really nice to see them come off the bench and have great games. Um, it's really it's, – I'm happy to hear that they played well as well. I think the Pro Day is such a great idea. It's, it's something beneficial, A, for the university. We get exposure to the NBA. 
and that type of exposure and become one of those, you know, a lot of major schools do this all the time. So we're finally getting to those ranks. Another cool thing is it's great for these players because it exposes them to the NBA and the scouts early on. So, you know, they don't get overlooked just because they went to a Nevada and they went to a mid-major school. It's good for them to show what they can actually do. And like you said, some of those players actually showed up and produced some very, very well-scoring games and some well-rounded games as well and showed off to these scouts and showed off to, you know, Musselman's old buddies. Uh, I think he even posted about, you know, he was talking to his old friend who's now one of the scouts for the Lakers. It's really good for them to get exposure to these scouts and these scouts get exposure to these guys so they can further their career and further their life into basketball. You're right. It was interesting because uh, with it not being televised, you ha- you had to have national beat writers come to the Nevada site uh, and watch the stream. So I think it was interesting. A lot of beat writers were uh, were watching to take notes about how who was performing well, who wasn't. And I think the general consensus is, from what I've read, is that Nevada is going to be a dark horse team this year. Could surprise a lot of people, uh, but they're not really surprised. Nevada has the talent. We saw with the recruiting in Jordan Brown. And you saw with the transfers, uh, the newcomers, Nisre, Jazz, uh, Corey Henson, Treshawn Thurman, uh, Trey Porter. And I think it will be interesting to see like how this team actually clicks together when uh, they step on the court for the first time on October 21st. Now, tickets are limited for that game. Uh, make sure to come out and get it. I think Nevada, as you mentioned earlier, this will be set, uh, packed. Defend Lawler. I think Lawler will be sold out for this game. Because this is Washington. Nevada, this is a big test. And you never really see, you, ha- you don't see, and Washington should start the year as a, almost a top, 20 top, top 25 team if they're not. Yeah, definitely. No, this is going to be, it's going to be packed because, A, it's a Pac-12 team, especially with Washington coming out. We're going to, always the games we play big schools. I mean, you look at women's basketball. When we played UConn last year, that game was massive. It was sold out. I went to that game, and it was incredible. I went for, A, it's, you know, it's a basketball game, and I want to go see a basketball game. And, two, you're seeing UConn. Just like with this, you're seeing Washington. You're seeing a Pac-12 school. It's something cool you don't actually get to see all the time here in Reno. Another reason is Wolfpack fans are eager to see this new team or basically the same team as last year, but eager to see Jordan Brown hit the court, um, eager to see the Martin Twins again. You know, we were left kind of, you know, desiring and, you know, wanting more after that tough loss to Loyola that we just want more and more and more. That's every that's all Wolfpack fans have been talking about ever since the loss is, oh, just wait till next year. Next year, it's going to be great. And next year is finally here, folks. It's great to see how we're already in the preseason polls and um, statistics are showing and how, you know, the analysts are thinking about us. I think Barstool Sports just ranked us at number four when they were going through their whole list. Um, we're yet to see what our final ranking is going to be for the actual season. But we've said it over and over in this show over the past couple weeks. It's gonna We're going to be a top 10 school, and it's going to be amazing to see. And Wolfpack fans are so hungry. I know I am. I'm just chomping at the bit, waiting for that game. I'm going to be there. Um, all Wolfpack fans are going to be there. Virginia Street is going to be packed all the way up to the dorms with traffic. So try to get there early and get your tickets early too. You're right, and it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the Barstool Sports uh, Reeks from Barstool Sports. Uh, he ranked us at number four. If you remember last January, uh, he came on the show to talk to us. This was following the Boise State game. Uh, 
It was the classic matchup between Caleb and Chandler Hutch, Caleb Martin and Chandler Hutchinson. One thing I for, we forgot to mention, or we alluded to last week, was that 29 out of 31 games are going to be televised. That number is now 31 out of 31 games. It was recently announced that the game against USC will officially be on Fox. This isn't Fox Sports. This isn't Fox One, FS1. This is the big program, Fox. And I'm hoping uh, it would be a dream to hear Gus Johnson call uh, one of the Nevada games. Gus Johnson is a legendary, uh, iconic broadcaster who, who works for Fox. So it'll be interesting to see if he's on the call for that game. And the game against Utah has been announced for the Pac-12 network. So I think it's good to see Nevada getting this media exposure, being on Fox. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great to see us finally getting on national TV. That's something you usually only see if the big-name mid-major teams like Gonzaga and stuff like that, or just, you know, the straight-up major teams of, like, North Carolina and things of that nature. So it's finally great to see us finally um, getting some recognition that we deserve. Um, one of the things, though, is we do have to also keep in mind is we have to show up to these games. We have to prove ourselves on the national stage when we get games like this on Fox. And, you know, the majority, not if if not only all of our games are televised, we have to actually come out and prove that last year wasn't a fluke. This isn't, you know, oh, a Cinderella-type story, you know, and it's a one-and-done type of deal. No, we are here to be recognized. We are here hear us you know we're making some noise out here in the west in the trucky meadows area for the whole nation to hear so it's that's one of the things we do have to keep in mind we can get all excited and i know i get too excited sometimes when i'm talking about basketball but we still have to show up and i think this team is ready for it i think muscleman's you know controlling these players and keeping their uh expectations in check that you know you have to focus on one game at a time and not the end goal you have to focus on winning one game and then win the next game and then win the next game after that and so on and so forth so and i think he's experienced enough to do that but it's one of the things why we're so we have such high expectations is because of muscleman now you mentioned muscleman listen to what he said following the uh pro day so what, what made you want to put something on this like this on, and what did it mean to you to see 32 scouts come out of from 20 teams? I think, uh, you know, the first thing uh, on the idea is when we had three players put their names in the draft, you kind of owe them the opportunity to have another spotlight. And, um, you know, I, truthful on it is, is, is it was risk, you know, we, when we put it out there and decided to do it. You know, you don't know, is there going to be two scouts? Is there going to be three? Is there going to be... You know, we had four from one team, so um, unbelievable turnout. I've only talked to two or three teams post. Uh, some of them have said it's the best pro day they've ever seen, which is, you know, the players were nervous. I was a little nervous. It's, I've done about everything in basketball in my life, but I've never had a pro day, and I've never attended a pro day. So, um, yeah, you know, for even our coaching staff, there was a little bit of, you know, what's this day going to turn out to be? But I thought it was great for the players. Um, we're going to get great feedback. I've already gotten feedback from so, on some of our guys on what uh, they can work on. And, and, and some of our guys really helped themselves today for sure as well. So, Jay, exceeded your expectations as far as how it came off and, and who was here? Yeah, because, again, I just I didn't know what to expect. And, and I couldn't be happier with the, with the feedback. I couldn't be happier for our guys uh, to be able – I mean, you know, when I gathered them up at the end, you know, when it was over, I, I told them that's the closest thing you can ever come 
to an NBA draft combine. And that's what Chicago's like, but, but triple. But it's not like a normal practice where you walk in and maybe there's two or three scouts or maybe the biggest day you've got eight scouts. You know, to have that number and the way that it was set up, um, it can be intimidating. I thought, I thought that, that our guys handled themselves really well. Barnes both said they, the reason that guys like playing for you is because you kind of treat them like pros and like men. Uh, what are some of the things outside of teaching them the game that you try to implement that'll make them a good professional? I mean, I think you know, I think a lot of things. I mean, I, like this, you know, I think some some places, some programs don't want to do it because it's a distraction, and we don't want our guys thinking about the three letters, the NBA. And look, the, the bottom line is they're going to think about it. We understand that. We embrace that. Um, you know, some. College programs don't talk like to talk about individual stats. We give them goals in the summer on individual stuff. We give them goals in game. I mean, was, can't tell you how many times I'll tell Cam Oliver in the past, like Cam, you got nine rebounds, you got to get one more in the next 42 seconds to get a double double. And so some of those things are, you know, just kind of unheard of at the collegiate level. But we like to embrace it, and our guys like it. I mean, I think that, you know. They play hard for us because we do things like this for them. Speaking of embracing it, there's a lot of national attention on you guys. Uh, how do you balance and embrace it, but also balance and let them know that you know we're zero and zero? Yeah, I mean, that's a million-dollar question. Um, because we're at the collegiate level, and this does not happen often, where you're your preseason top five team, and somebody today says we're fourth, and. So we have a decision when all this stuff starts happening. When, the, when Jordan Caroline comes back and, and the Martin Twins come back, we have a decision with, with all this hoopla. Do we embrace it or do we act like it's not there and still let them read it? But we're not embracing it. And we have a job. Our job is to recruit, promote the program, and to promote the university above recruiting, above everything else. And right now we're promoting this university. Um, in a big light nationally. And we take great pride in that. And um, so our social media, and like we're gonna promote as much as we can our, our school and our program. And um, it's our job every day when we come in here to try to let the guys know a lot of failures have happened, that this is all awesome for Northern Nevada community. There's a lot of hype, there's a lot. It's awesome, but there's responsibility with that. And there's a lot of teams that have failed that have been in this exact same position. Um, and so, you know, we got to understand that. And I think when you watch us play, we play really hard. We don't play like a team that thinks that they've accomplished anything. I mean, there's a loose ball on the floor. Guys are diving. Every day there's a near injury because of how hard we play. So I don't think that our guys are walking around here acting like they've done anything. I think they know that we have a really hard schedule and they, they have a tough road ahead of us. Is this something you'd like to do every year or is this just something because it was a unique circumstance? Great question, Chris. <laughs> I would love to do it every year. we got to have the talent every year to, to get people back here. But yeah, we would, we would love to do it. Um, we just got to, now we got to recruit. I don't want to make you to pick, you know, these are all like your kids out here, but did somebody or one or two players kind of stand out or, you know, you know has somebody I, I, taken a I jump? I think it was start? really good. I think, uh, again, I only talked to four or five guys real quickly, and uh, I think Cody's uh, improved jump shot. You know, some guys improve in the offseason. He's dramatically improved. It's not like, well, he's a little bit better. He's he's dramatically better and, and deeper range. And, and, and so that was noted immediately. And, uh, 
Uh, I think Caleb helped himself again. I think Jordan Caroline helped himself because they saw him play some three. And teams started envisioning posting him up. They saw him out on the floor playing around with the ball a little bit more than in the past. Um, some, some people, you know, were very impressed with the athleticism and length of Trey Porter. Even guys like Trey Thurman, I mean, you know, some people didn't know who he was. And, and he did a good job, and I think Nizray and Jazz, those guys, people are writing their names down. And, and uh, so I think for, you know, for the whole group, obviously Jordan Brown, uh, there was, a, there was a, a great deal of interest in coming and getting a feel for Jordan's game. And, and I think as the thing went on, he got better and better. He might have been a little nervous at the beginning. Was part of this just get all these scouts in at the beginning of practice, you know, one of your first two yes. practices, and then from that point forward you can focus on what thousand you're going to do percent. You know, we, some guy, you know, as, as a staff we met, and as a department we met, and some people thought it would be better in October, and I said, you know what, no, I, I don't want any distractions come October 1. I want every week, you know, that we got specific goals that we're trying to do, and and so, no, we, we, we wanted this over. And some guys that were here today are going to come do, you know, some exhibition games and stuff that might be announced here in the near future. Um, One so, of your players may have already talked about that. So, so anyway, <laughs> so there'll be people, there'll be people coming uh, to those, too, that were here. So, um, and we had no, you know, we had no competition. There's no other pro days going on this week. I think we strategically planned it the right way. And, um, you know, now tomorrow we turn the page and we got to, you know, there's no distractions and we've got to worry about how, how the Wolfpack can get a little bit better tomorrow. So much different backgrounds with these players and, and trying to mix them all together, find roles. How do you feel like they've gelled so far in terms of off the court and on the court? I mean, I can be, you know, critical and, and, and overly uh, honest. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a happy guy usually. Um, and, and I feel good. I feel like we had a really, really good summer. I feel like we're in the best shape that we've ever been, and we've always been in great shape. Um, I think we have a, a team that's very serious-minded, um, and, and you know the biggest concern is we got you know nine, ten guys that think they can play and want to play, and you know that dilemma won't be addressed, solved, whatever until we play against BYU at halftime, and then I'll look out there and there's going to be some guys that didn't get the minutes they want, and I'll have to decide what to do. Not sure if anyone's asked this yet, but I saw Lindsey Drew dribbling a little bit back on the court. How's his, uh, how's he bouncing back from injury? I, I think I think that Lindsey is is uh, you know taking bigger strides in the last two weeks. He's moving pretty slow. Um, I did talk to the Warriors today just about the, the Marcus Cousins timeline, and I told them what I'm reading, and what I'm reading isn't really how it is. And so I got kind of you know where he is, and, and his happened about a month before Lindsey's, and. And I think Lindsey's in the in the in a, in a spot where maybe could play, um, maybe not. Uh, same thing I've been saying, you know, until it gets to November, there's no reason to do anything other than just tell him to keep rehabbing hard. And hey, look, it's a win-win. If he comes back, it's awesome because he's one of the best point guards in the country. If he doesn't come back, we, we need some some really good players next year that can play 35, 40 minutes next year. And, and he can do that. So I, I look at it, whatever he and his family decide is, is good for us. What was it like to see like a former player like Antoine Jameson out here or even Coach Dupree who's with you for a year here in Nevada? No, it was great. I'm just, I mean, the most disappointing thing of the day is I wanted a picture with Irvin Thomas and, and Antoine Jameson because they played for me and they both left on an early flight. So I'm, I'm depressed because Antoine looked like he could still drop 40. What about Armand? How many could he drop? Armand's pretty good. He doesn't have a right hand, though. We need, we need player development right here.
Now, I think it's interesting to see the level that Musselman has taken this team. We hope we hope that basketball and every other sport can get to this level. But I think what Musselman has truly done is special, and you could not write a better fantasy story. Like, imagine taking a team that was god-awful to making first season winning the CBI championship, next year making the a berth as uh, in the NCAA tournament, and this past year going to the Sweet 16 being – one like thirty or five seconds short of an elite eight berth. Yeah, no, it's an incredible story. Just I mean, look at the past couple of seasons. Like you said, you went we went from winning the CBI championship to getting berth the two years ago, and then last year. I mean, if you just look at last year itself, it was an amazing story. The fact that two comeback wins in the first two rounds of the season. I mean, it was incredible. Like some of those wins were crazy to watch folks let me tell you i was freaking out you know i was walking down the street figured oh no we lost the game and all of a sudden someone from the dorm goes hey we're within five and i was just like no way it's it's an amazing story it's something that's one of the great things you love about sports is stories like this you know a team that just was god awful a couple years ago to the fact that we're going to be ranked top 10 in the nation. We got one of the top recruits, an all-American recruit. And the fact that we're getting televised on every single game, we're getting nationally televised, we're having people come play us in Reno. Reno, of all people, no knock to Reno, but Reno has such a bad reputation, people don't want to come here. And it's the fact that we're changing the culture here on this campus and in this city when it comes to basketball. And it's it's great to see. And like I've said before, it all just goes back to Musselman and his experience of being an NBA coach and knowing the ins and outs of the players and knowing what they're thinking and how to get to them on an emotional, personal level and have them, you know, fight for them. I, I guarantee you ask some of these players that if Musselman told them to run through a burning wall, they'd be the first ones and they'd ask you, you know, how hard do you want me to run through that wall, coach? I'll go. Like, he builds such a personal connection with these players. And I think the players um, open up to him so well. And I think they want to play with him so much. And that's what you see with Martin Twins coming back. And you see Carol- Caroline coming back. You know, most play- most players are going to go, no, I'm going to go to the NBA. I had a great season. We went to the, you know, Sweet 16. I'm going to probably go play for the Lakers or something like that or the Celtics or, you know, a pretty decent team like that. And they'll be able to work their way up. But they're like, no, I want to play my senior year here with you, coach. And it's amazing to see. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons, is probably one of the reasons uh, why the three, the, the trio, the three-headed monster uh, in Caleb, Cody, and Jordan Caroline came back. And that's because they probably do have some unfinished business. Business. They don't like the way last season ended with that loss to Loyola Chicago. They probably want to rewrite the script. And hopefully, and, th- and it all gets started uh, coming up on that Sunday, the first preseason game. Because once, once that preseason game hits or once the regular season hits, last season doesn't matter. Last season, everyone, everyone is 0-0 at the start of the season. Everyone has a chance to fight for a national championship. No one's eliminated yet, and so that's what makes, I think, what's interesting with this team is this team is trying to, like, I wouldn't say rewrite history, but write their own history and see how far they can go this year. 
Oh yeah, definitely. They're writing themselves into the history book of the Nevada, you know, history as well as the history of the NCAA. I mean, people are going to remember some of those comeback wins for a couple of years down the line. You think of, you know, past games and it's a couple of years down the line. That's what you're going to think about is when you think of Nevada, you're going to think, wow, that run in 2017 is just incredible. And the 2017, 2018 season. And just the fact that they had those two comeback wins is amazing. And we're, they're definitely running themselves into the history of Nevada as well. And these are going to be the storied years they talk about 20, 30 years down the line is just the amazingness of how we're playing. I mean, you look at it from a different perspective on football is, you know, when Kaepernick was here and all was here, you know, those were the storied years of Nevada football. And these are the storied years of Nevada basketball. And it's great to see it happen in front of us while we're still here Garrett I mean I'm I, I'm I, if I'm speaking for you I think I am is we feel so lucky to be here and to be able to be students when this is happening and not you know graduated five years out of the line and thinking oh my gosh why couldn't they be this good when I was there we're lucky enough to be here and it's amazing to watch and it's it's history taking place in front of us it's amazing yeah what, what you said is is exactly right and we're lucky enough to be here for when the team is good. Uh, but with that being said, we are wrapping up today's show. Kevin, any final thoughts? Uh, the only final thoughts I got is come out to the game this Saturday against Fresno State. Um, come out to these exhi- exhibition games that we talked about for basketball. Um, try to fill the stands. And, folks, once again, go out to these women's sports as well. Volleyball is still kicking butt. Soccer is still kicking butt. So go out to those games as well. But especially football, we definitely need it. It's going to be a really nice night game to go out to. Um, it's going to be one of the last games probably before it gets starting. It gets it starts getting too cold to go out to these night games and go out to a football game. So go out to that. Um, good luck with everybody and their midterms coming up. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Hope you have a nice weekend and a great rest of your week. Yeah, reiterate, reiterating what Kevin said, this is the one of the busiest times for uh, – Nevada Athletics, you got football, volleyball, ba- soccer, basketball starting up. Make sure to support the Wolfpack. They could use all the help, uh, all the support we can give them. And with that being said, we will see you guys next week.